Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Joseph Polari, Chief Legal Officer of Mission Driven Finance, an impact investing company. We'll be discussing his article, Who Gets to Make a Living? Street Vending in America, which was recently published in the Georgetown Immigration Law Journal. I'll have a link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Joe, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you for having me. Joe, I was really excited to see this paper come across my SSRN feed because when we talk about business in the academy, and and this show is probably guilty of it too, there tends to be a focus on the Wall Street side of business. And your paper asks us to take a look at a business that is ubiquitous, but probably very unconsidered, and that is the business of street vending. I wondered if you could introduce your paper by telling us what is street vending. We have some impressions about what that is, but if you could level set with us on what that means means. What role does street vending play, particularly in urban economies? What kinds of businesses are these? And if you could talk a little bit about their place in U.S. urban history, is this a new business model? Is it an old business model? Is it constantly reinventing itself? Could you give us a sense of the playing field here? Sure. And I agree with what you said at the outset, your characterization of how these kinds of businesses are considered, if not Wall Street in the way we usually talk about it, maybe on Wall Street in the literal sense. Certainly there are hot dog vendors on Wall Street, but Street vending is something that I think most Americans, most people are familiar with. When I talk about street vending, I'm talking broadly about people who are selling something out of usually a mobile, impermanent structure on some public right. I could be talking about cart a table, somebody who sets up a blanket. And I'm talking about somebody who sells out of a park or on a sidewalk or on a street. For purposes of the paper that I wrote, I looked at a definition of street vending that's distinct from, say, food trucks for a couple of reasons that we could talk about. One of which is most urban environments in the United States have really strict delineation between space for cars and space for pedestrians. Food trucks usually sell out of spaces for cars. I'm talking about folks who are posted up in a space for pedestrians in a park or a walkway and selling something out of that. So if you have a hot dog cart in mind or a halal cart or somebody setting up a taco cart, that's exactly what I'm talking about. These businesses and these, I call them entrepreneurs because that's really what they are, play a really important role in urban environments around the country. They're a really important source of food and goods for consumers. You've probably been to a street vendor at some point if you've spent any time in a major American city, particularly New York and L.A., but lots of other cities, too. They are affordable. They're nimble, which means that they can go and they can set up in a space where there is a lot of people be it a commuter crowd or a business lunch crowd or a neighborhood where there is what some people would call a food desert. There's not a lot of fresh food or prepared food or even groceries available. They often provide a form of food that's not available in the neighborhood because it's affordable, but also because, especially when we're talking about immigrant communities, there may be a neighborhood 
that has a significant population of immigrants from a certain country who doesn't have the ability to buy foods from their culture, right? From their country that they're used to. Street vendors are able to, assuming they're able to acquire the raw ingredients, right? They're able to set up quickly. They're able to set up pretty affordably with limited barriers to entry, at least compared to a brick and mortar, and really serve that niche in the market. And that's one of the reasons that street vending has been and continues to be a really important part of urban environments in the United States. In looking at the history of street vending, it was really interesting. Street vending in the U.S. predates the founding of the country. There are stories of street vendors in New York City going back to, I think, the 1600s. And what I found looking at the history in really broad strokes, it varies a lot from place to place and time to time, is that street vending tends to have these ebbs and flows that correspond with a couple of things. The first thing that street vending corresponds with is movements of people. Just about any time that you have an influx of people, largely immigration from abroad, in the 19th century and early 20th century, there was a lot of immigration, right, from Eastern and Southern Europe to American cities, primarily in the North and East. And with them came a street vending culture. So you had in New York City, you would have maybe a bagel cart or folks from Italy setting up and selling things that the community was used to buying at home. And they come to the United States and have trouble accessing that food. But when you have these influxes of people, there are barriers of entry that those folks have to entering the formal job market. Maybe it's training, maybe it's language, maybe it's legal status. The other thing that street vending provides is a relatively low barrier to entry way to enter into the job market. And a lot of people are drawn to street vending for that reason. So you see these waves of immigration. Again, early 20th century from Europe, middle of the 20th century, you have the great migration of Black Americans from the South to Northern cities. And then in recent decades, you have waves of immigration from Latin America, Asia, Africa to American cities. And each wave brings with it people searching opportunity, people looking for food and goods to purchase, and people looking to enter into the job force. And street vending is a solution to all of those problems. You talk about street vending as being part of the informal economy. I wonder if you could introduce that concept, the informal economy versus the formal economy. What are some of the distinctions between that? And could you situate that formal informal dichotomy in the context of street vendors? Why would somebody choose to work as a street vendor rather than enter the formal economy? And what does it mean for them to be a part of the informal economy? Informal economy is generally used to describe economic activity that is operating outside of some legal regime, but is not, call it illegal activity. It's not directly opposed to a set of regulations. You could distinguish, for example, street vending from something like prostitution or most drug sales. There is a possibility that an informal activity like street vending could be done in compliance with a legal regime. It's just difficult to do it especially for the people that are engaging in this activity. Whereas in most places, you look at prostitution, you look at sales of heroin, there's no way to do that legal. So that's the difference between informal activity and illegal activity. Formal activity is economic activity that's operating fully within the constraints of some legal regime. You could have, in a lot of places that I looked at, a street vending operation that is completely legal. 
that operates in a time, in a place, in a manner that complies with all local regulations. But again, it's very difficult to do so. Those barriers to entry into the formal market are a big reason that a lot of people choose to street vend, even though their manner of street vending is illegal, even though their manner of street vending may actually be something that could give rise to a criminal offense. It can be expensive to start a legal street vending business. And when I talk about expensive, we have to think about who are the entrepreneurs that I'm talking about. I've described them and the data backs this up. By and large, these folks are immigrants, not entirely and not in every place. But by and large, these are folks with immigrants with relatively limited resources, with relatively limited skills and training, and who are entering an environment where there are very strict, very onerous regulations placed on street vending. For a lot of people, it's just not worth it or it's just not possible to overcome those barriers of entry. And if you've been to places where there's a lot of street vending, you'll know that doesn't stop folks. There are still very vibrant street vending scenes. And so people see the opportunity and they either build in non-compliance with the regulations as a cost of doing business, or they simply have no other options and try to operate as long as they can without getting in trouble with law enforcement. I'd like to delve into that regulatory question a little bit. Could you talk about the regulatory status and conditions? You mentioned a number of regulatory barriers to entry. Could you talk a little bit more about those? And how do different jurisdictions regulate and police street vending? Is this something that there's a lot of commonality between jurisdictions? Or is there a variety of approaches to regulating the compliance side of street vending and the impacts that has on whether street vendors are able to be in compliance or not, even if they desire to be so? I surveyed street vending laws around the country, and I'll say that these are primarily questions of local law, though there are places in which states, counties, and cities all have laws that touch on street vending. And so you could have a street vendor in Los Angeles, for example, who has to comply with Los Angeles city rules, Los Angeles county rules, and state of California rules. Those rules may be at odds with each other, or at least have very different avenues for compliance. And so there is a very complicated system of overlapping local regulations that people face. But these regulations tend to touch on five things. And usually all five, though not entirely. And the first of those five is time. A lot of regulations say that street vendors can vend within certain times, maybe 9 to 5 or 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. A lot of them have place regulations that say that there are perhaps certain areas of a city in which street vendors are allowed to vend, maybe a central business district, maybe an area where there's known to be a lot of pedestrians. They also have regulations that say you can't set up within a certain number of feet from a business entrance or a subway entrance or a park or a school. So there are lots and lots of place regulations. There are requirements that cities place on street vendors that require a certain level of training. So a lot will say you need to have gone through a certain program in order to receive a license to be a food vendor or somebody who prepares food. There are also regulations, again, when we're talking about food, that put very strict rules on the space where food is prepared. And a lot of cities and counties around the country say 
any food that is sold to the public has to be prepared in what's called a commercial kitchen. So this is a licensed facility subject to inspection where food is prepared and then sold. And this is really a situation where it's not possible to comply with local laws to prepare food on site and serve it on site without going through a really onerous inspection process. And if you've been to a lot of American cities, you can see that they prepare and serve that hot dog right on site. So there's a little bit of a mismatch between what kind of business we're talking about and the regulations. The fifth type of regulation that I identified was that a lot of places put caps on the number of licenses that they'll give out. And so they may say, in 2022, we are going to give out 100 street vendor licenses. It doesn't matter how many people apply. It doesn't matter how much demand there is. We are going to cap the number of licenses that exist. Those are all barriers of entry to entering into street vending for a lot of people. In addition to what I've described, the types of regulations, a lot of places have fees. The fees can be quite expensive to get a license. Cities may require background and financial checks before somebody can obtain a license to street vend. They may require that somebody has an insurance policy, special food training licenses. They may even put very specific requirements on physical cards. And I'm talking to the inch requirements on how big a cart can be, how wide it can be, what functions a cart must be able to serve. That's the universe, the setting of the regulatory conditions for if I want to operate as a compliant street vendor, what I must do, a lot of hoops I must jump through that are going to depend on the city. Could you talk about the distributional effects of these regulations? Who's benefiting from these regulations within the street vendor community or outside of the street vendor community? And who loses out or is being harmed by these regulations? It's an interesting question because I think that there is a perception of who benefits, and then what I find is the reality of who benefits. There are stakeholders who traditionally advocate for these kinds of regulations who feel that they benefit from them, although I think whether or not they do benefit is questioned. Those tend to be brick-and-mortar businesses, particularly brick-and-mortar restaurants, who see street vending as a nuisance and as competition. The story goes, if I have a hot dog restaurant, I don't want somebody setting up a hot dog cart 10 feet outside my restaurant because they're able to steal all of my customers. They can sell food much cheaper with much lower cost. Why would anybody come into my business when they can just buy a hot dog on the cart? It's also creating a crowd outside my business, which keeps people away. But people that have looked at this have said that's not exactly what goes on in most places. First, Street vendors don't tend to provide the same goods and the same food as brick and mortar businesses. They tend to be meeting a different market. Again, food that's cheaper, but it's not the same thing being sold at a lower cost. It's the difference between a sit down lunch and grabbing something off the go. But the other thing that street vending does is it attracts people to a neighborhood. It creates foot traffic. So brick and mortar businesses tend to benefit from the increased foot traffic that street vending brings. That said, if you read stories about street vending legislation in just about any city in the country and you read through city council transcripts, there are just about always local businesses and local restaurants advocating for really strict regulation on street vending 
The other group that I would say tends to benefit from these street vending regulations are those entrepreneurs who are actually interested in street vending who have more resources. And I'm largely talking about the wave in the last 20 years, this trend of fancy food trucks, right? Hip food trucks. We've probably all been to those too. There are, in the last couple of decades, a lot of people who have the means to acquire a food truck, market that food truck, and serve a different audience than what I'm traditionally talking about, who are able to comply with these regulations. These entrepreneurs like these regulations because they limit access to the market. And the fancy food truck scene is really interesting. One of the things that got me interested in this topic was seeing the proliferation of fancy food trucks at festivals, at events, outside of business districts, but at the same time reading articles in the newspaper of street vendors in different parts of the city being arrested. But they tend to like these regulations. Those are two folks who say that they benefit or at least appear to benefit in some way. But there are a lot of folks who are hurt by these. And so the first is the street vendors themselves. A really catalyzing event for my entry into this work was the story in Washington, D.C., I think in 2017, of a teenage girl who was on the street with her mother and her younger brother in the Columbia Heights neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Her mother was a street fan. And so this teenage girl, she was a lot of days after school hanging out with her mom and her brother on the street. Her mom had to step away for a moment to run an errand. She had to go in the store and pick up something. And while she was away, a police officer approached this teenage girl. The police officer ended up getting into a physical altercation with this girl. She ended up going to the hospital and was quite injured. The reason being that in this neighborhood, and this is a neighborhood if you've been there, where the streets on 14th Street are lined with street vendors for several blocks, street vending is a misdemeanor. And the police from time to time would come usually in response to a complaint from somebody in the neighborhood, hard to say who, and arrest people or at least push people out. You have very real stories of people getting into physical altercations with police. You have stories about people getting criminal records, about getting hit with hundreds and hundreds of dollars of fines week after week. It is something that pushes people into contact with the criminal justice system, but even if it's not a criminal justice matter, there are lots of fines that are placed on people that could have effects on their ability to obtain credit, their ability to obtain housing or other benefits. And it keeps a lot of people in this sort of shadowy world where they're providing a need that exists. They're at these intersections and on these sidewalks because lots of people are buying food and goods from them. And yet, they're kept in the shadowy world where they have to operate, running from the police, changing their location, and trying to stay one step ahead of law enforcement. Joe, if you were called by the mayors of New York or Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles and asked to totally revamp the street vending regulation in their cities to address some of the problems that you've talked about, what would you propose? What would you do if you were appointed to run this reform effort? There are a few reforms that I propose in the paper. And I will say that I've also, in addition to studying this and working with this, I've worked closely with a coalition of street vendors in Washington, D.C. on a few pieces of proposed legislation. And so I've been in a lot of these conversations, both with the vendors themselves, but also with local businesses, local restaurants, pedestrians, local government. 
police, the various stakeholders that are touched by this. And what I think I'm proposing is something that attempts to address the concerns of the various stakeholders, but also facilitate a way for vendors to enter the formal economy, but to do so in a way that is safe and productive for everybody involved. And so the first reform that I propose is decriminalization. I found dozens of examples around the country where, like Washington, D.C., the penalty for street vending in violation of some local regulation is a criminal offense. It tends to be a misdemeanor. I think that is not appropriate. These things should be handled as civil offenses. I think that they should be handled as regulatory matters as opposed to criminal matters. The second reform that I propose is to remove a lot of the barriers to entry that I found. Fees, for example, that are exorbitantly high are really counterproductive. If a fee is too high, nobody is going to pay it. It makes it much harder to regulate somebody if they're not licensed at all than if they've paid some fee, they're entering into the regulated system. The really strict limitations on cards, for example. A way to remove barriers to entry, meet people where they're at, get them to come into the formal system, work with them to come up with a way to safely vend legally. The third reform that I propose is an education-first approach to regulation. Education first as a foe to enforcement first, sometimes called fix, not fine. New York City has proposed something like this. This was pretty successful in Portland, Oregon. This is an approach where regulators, rather than going out and giving somebody a ticket or having police go out and issue a violation, anytime that they see somebody operating in violation of a local rule, educate that vendor to say, this is what the law requires. This is how you can come into compliance with the law. And you have 60, 90, 100 days, whatever it is, in order to show that you're in compliance. And if you're able to show that you come into compliance in those 90 days, we're not going to issue a violation. What we found is that approach is actually quite successful entering into a dialogue with street vendors rather than issuing a citation on site actually encourages legal safe vending more than the enforcement that I found happens around the country. The fourth reform that I've proposed is entering into a participatory process that involves street vendors themselves in the reform of street vending laws and in the creation of street vending regulation. What I've found both in my research and from working with vendors, is that most street vendors tend to want regulations. They think that the regulations protect them. They think that the regulations protect the customer. They think that the regulations give an air of legitimacy to their business. It's just really hard for them to comply with the regulations that exist now. There's a great story in Los Angeles in the MacArthur Park neighborhood, if you're familiar with it, huge street vending community. I think it was on Alvarado Street. On one side of the street, the city set up a legal street vending site where in consultation with pedestrian groups and local businesses, the city came up with a set of rules that if street vendors comply with those rules, they can vend in this location. On the other side of the street, the city didn't do anything. They left the rules as they existed, which at the time were quite onerous. And the city finally rolled out this new reform 
And on the side where the city set up the legal vending, there was one vendor. The other side of the street was totally packed. None of the vendors went over to the legal side because they weren't consulted in the process. And it didn't result in the city coming up with something that the vendors could actually comply with that made sense for the vendors and that was able to facilitate people entering into the formal market in this way. So it's really important that vendors be consulted with and involved as cities come up with these regulations. The fifth set of reforms that I talk about focus on protecting public health. And just about everybody that I talk to says, how do I know that the food is safe? I need to know that the food is safe. And I think that's a valid concern. I think that it's maybe a little bit overblown in some cases. One is that people already do patronize these places a lot. But there is a concern about food safety, and it's a concern that, frankly, vendors voice as well. The rules now focus on training, they focus on inspection, they focus on making somebody prepare food in a commercial kitchen space. There are ways to build off all of those, to limit some barriers of entry, but keep those. So some cities could provide commercial kitchen space where vendors could come, or at least make kitchen space available where vendors could come and prepare their food. Certainly carts could be inspected. I think an inspection paired with the education first approach that I previously described would be pretty effective as opposed to issuing citations. States also have adopted rules in slightly different contexts where rather than requiring that a licensed food preparer prepares food in a commercial kitchen, they allow people to prepare food at home and sell food at, say, a farmer's market or something, provided that they put adequate disclosures on their food. And in a state like Virginia, you can sell food that you've prepared in your home at a farmer's market by putting a label on your food that says this food was not prepared in a kitchen space by a licensed food can. There are ways to use disclosure in addition to some of these other requirements to protect public health, maintain food safety, but also remove some of these barriers to entry and make it so that people can actually vend legally and compliantly. Are there any key takeaways you'd like listeners to have from this interview or from your paper? One is Don't assume that because these businesses exist, they are operating legally. I was myself surprised to find how difficult it is to vend legally in Washington, D.C., despite the number of street vendors in my community. That was an interesting learning to me and to get to know the community and know about the struggles that they've had. The second is to think about these folks as entrepreneurs, as businesses. We like people operating businesses in a way that is legal, that is compliant, that is safe. Customers and vendors want that to be the case. But we think of these, or at least a lot of the regulations tend to think of these folks as vagrants, as a nuisance, as something that only exists out of desperation and ultimately should not be there. It should be regulated away or at least confined so much that they're basically regulated away. But I think the reality is that street vending is a really important part of urban communities, has been an important part of urban communities since the country was founded and will continue to be. And I think a lot of people like street vending. They like going to New York and getting a hot dog. They like going to LA and getting a taco from a a taco cart. It's the kind of thing now that I see on tourism brochures for cities. It's fun. It's exciting. It's part of the vibrancy of a lot of urban communities. We should embrace that in a way that facilitates legal, safe vending. Our guest today has been Joseph Polari, Chief Legal Officer of Mission Driven Finance. 
We've discussed his article, Who Gets to Make a Living? Street Vending in America, which was recently published in the Georgetown Immigration Law Journal. I'll link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Joe, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.